0: Hey, my name is Cindra Kampoff and I'm a small town Minnesota gal, Minnesota nice as we like to say it, who followed her big dreams. I spent the last four years working as a mental coach for the Minnesota Vikings, working one-on-one with the players. I wrote a best-selling book about the mindset of the world's best, and I'm a keynote speaker and national leader in the field of sport and performance psychology. And I am obsessed with showing you exactly how to develop the mindset of the world's best so you can accomplish all your goals and dreams. So I'm over here following my big dreams and I'm here to inspire you and practically show you how to do the same. And you know, when I'm not working, you'll find me playing Miss Pac-Man. Yes, the 1980s game, Miss Pac-Man. So take your notepad out, buckle up, and let's go. This is the High Performance Mindset.
1: The mind is the athlete. I mean, the body really is just the vehicle, and garbage in garbage out you know or gold in, gold out
0: welcome to episode 345 with dr jim Afremow. this is your host cindra campoff and i'm grateful that you are here if you know that mindset is essential to your success then you are in the right place because we talk about everything related to mindset here on the podcast and i'm pumped to let you know about a podcast giveaway we are organizing here at the high performance mindset and this month, we're organizing it. It is truly unbelievable. So you can head over to drsyndracom giveaway. And I'm giving away $500 in cash, a free coaching session with me personally, two subscriptions to the Beyond Grit Academy, and 50 people will receive a best-selling hardcover Beyond Grit book. There's so many ways to win and it's really easy to enter. So again, you can head over to Dr. So drcindra.com slash giveaway. And I hope you win the $500 in cash. Today's episode, I've interviewed Dr. Jim Affermau, somebody I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, been working to get him on the podcast for at least a year now. And Jim Afermau is a sought-after mental skills coach, a licensed professional counselor, and the author of The Champion's Mind, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive. And this book, I actually require in my graduate level sports psychology class, they read this book. I love Jim's work because it's research-based, but really easy to understand and apply to your life. Jim has also written The Champion's Comeback and The Young Champion's Mind, all three of them I own. He is the founder of good to gold Metal Consulting, a leading coaching and consulting practice where he provides individual and team mental training services across the globe to athletes, teams, and coaches in all sports, as well as to parents, business professionals, and all others engaged in highly demanding endeavors. So today in the episode, we're talking a lot about sport, but just know as you're listening that you can apply it to any way that you perform, and we perform in all the different various roles in our lives. He is passionate about helping others achieve peak performance and personal excellence and to reach their true potential. So for over 20 years now, Dr. Aphromau has assisted numerous high school collegiate, recreational and professional athletes. He has served as the staff mental coach for two international Olympic teams, was the senior staff member with Counseling Services and Sports Medicine at Arizona State University and also served as the mental skills coach and peak performance coordinator for the San Francisco Giants MLB organization. So in this podcast, Jim and I talk about the 12 essential mental skills needed to thrive, how attitude is a decision but also a learned behavior that requires discipline and energy to sustain. We talk about the four C's that you need to develop, why we need to think gold and never settle for silver, how to love your comeback more than your setback, and why mental skills are not magical skills. And if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, wherever you're listening, we would love for you to head over, subscribe if you haven't already, and give us a five-star rating and review. That just helps us reach more and more people each week, and your reviews are helping. For a long time now, I've been working to get in the top 100 podcasts and this week we reached 56. So I'm so pumped. So thank you so much for your ratings and reviews. It just helps us grow the podcast and it helps us reach more and more people each week. So thank you so much. Today's featured review is from Dancing Dad Steve. I like the name. I can't believe these interviews are free. I listen to these podcasts since 2016 and I find something in them that challenges me and helps me grow as a dad, husband, and a pastor. Each week I get one hour of continuing education for learning how to be the best version of myself. I love how Dr. Sindra also summarizes her notes from the interviews at the end. I'll keep doing that, dancing, Steve. With all the changes of COVID-19 and that brought to my home and work, Dr. Sindra helped me pivot and make the needed adjustments. Thank you so much for your great work. Thank you, dancing dad, Steve. I'm grateful for your review, and I'd love to read your review next week. And be sure to share this episode with a friend. You can copy and paste the link wherever you're listening or take a screenshot and share it with a friend via social media, email, or text. And I'd be forever grateful. You can also share this on your Instagram stories and tag me at Campoff. Without further ado, let's bring on Jim Affermau. Excellent, Jim. I'm so excited to join, uh, have you join us today in the High Performance Mindset podcast. Uh, we have been uh, talking about this, I think for about six months now. I'm so grateful that you're here on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Indra. What an honor and a privilege to be part of uh, all the good things you're doing and uh, to be with you today. So thank I'm looking you.
0: forward to thank our you. conversation. And for those people who are watching us live, I have all three of Jim's books right here, so The Champion's Mind, The Champion's Comeback, and then The Young Champion's Mind. And uh, you'll like this, Jim, in one of the classes I teach, I require the first one, and uh, look at my tabs. (laughs) (laughs) So so tell us a little bit about your passion and what you do right now, Jim.
1: Yeah, I mean, I grew up on sports. Um, I've always been fascinated by human behavior, so, Sports psychology, I'm also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Arizona. And so it's really a bridge between my two passions in terms of sports and and psychology. And so I am so fortunate. It's kind of like, you know, when when people say they don't feel like they work for a living. And uh, I feel like I get to do this. I love to do this. Uh, I look forward to doing this. And, um, you know, I'm kind of a a sports psychology junkie too. So I love your podcast and the people that you've had on it are just, you know, what an all-star lineup. So uh, so it's great to be with you. Hopefully those, uh, you know, in the book, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of red marks in terms of uh, what could have been better, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. I have so, no
0: red marks. No. <laughs> what I really like about your books is they're really practical, but they're also really research-based and that's what I really enjoy about them. And I think as a, um, a person with, you know, a PhD and so I, I see myself as a scholar as well. You know, it's nice to, that it's just not something that you're just putting out there, but you're really backing it by research and some studies. So no red marks, <laughs> mostly things that I like. <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah. So maybe if you could just give us a little bit of background on how you got to where you are now, right? You have three excellent books. Um, I really like the, the Young Athletes Mind as well for- for people that um, aren't adults quite yet. So give us a sense of how did you get to where you are now?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So for me, um, you know, I studied psychology at University of Oregon and at that point it was more, I was interested in cognitive or experimental psychology and you know, working memory and so on. And I started coming across some articles on visualization and then visualization with athletes. And I'm thinking, man, I wish I knew some of this when I was, you know, playing sports growing up. And I grew up more in the time when, you know, it was either you had confidence or you didn't, you know, you either uh, were focused or you're not. And so what really, you know, growing up, I understood that the mental game was important in sports and life, but there didn't seem to be much out there on it. And so kind of indirectly through cognitive ex- or experimental psychology, I started learning about sports psychology and immediately the more I, you know, the, the more I'd learn about, it, the more I wanted to learn about it. And so I went to graduate school at Michigan state. What a great program, great people there. Um, yeah, cold winters. It was, uh, yeah. It was, uh, it was tough. The coolest I've ever been is we had a regional conference, sports psychology conference in uh university at university of Western Ontario. And I, yeah, I mean, that was a blast, but yeah, Michigan state was a blast. And, uh, and then I, and then as I was studying there, I'm like, okay, I also want to learn more about, you know, off field issues and how to help those as well. So then I did a dual degree in, in uh, counseling psychology, uh, a master's degree in counseling psychology. So I have my doctorate my master's. Uh, what a great experience there. Nick Saban was the football coach at the time. Wow. Um, yeah. And one of my buddies that I met there, uh, Mickey Collins, he co-developed Impact while he was at Michigan State. And so I was fortunate enough to, you know, accompany him when he started testing the Michigan State players with, you know, the very early stages of uh, Impact. And uh, so that was exciting. And then also Tom Izzo with basketball and Spartans won a national championship, and, Kind of being part of that, knowing a lot of the players through the classes I taught. So that was really cool. Uh yeah. my wife, uh, my future wife, who I met there, she was in the counseling psychology program and, okay. the, you know, working on her doctorate, and she got an internship at counseling and consultation at Arizona State University. So we came out here together, and it's so such a great story because I approached uh sports medicine at ASU and I said, uh You know, at Michigan State, I led injury support groups. I work with the players. Do you have a sports psychologist right now? And they said, actually, we don't. We might need one. And so they said, keep checking back with us. And about a month later, uh, I get a call from the head team physician. And he said, actually, we need your help. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, "Uh, no pressure, but we got a baseball player with the yips. And so (laughs) I'm like, okay, you know, you know, thanks for making it easy on me, but like, I really that
0: was here first. one of your first experiences. That
1: you know? was my first <laughs> oh my uh, goodness. experience at ASU. And, and I think the baseball team was top five in the country at the time. And, uh, fortunately, uh, the, the player was fantastic. Uh, coach Murphy at the time was amazing. And we did really good work together. And, you know, he, he, was able to get out of his way and play like he knew he could play. And so then it's like, hey, could you come on halftime? And then, hey, why not full time? And so I was there for 10 years at ASU and loved every minute of it. Did some private practice on the side. And uh, yeah, and then worked for the San Francisco Giants, worked with a couple Olympic teams, and then now athletes all over the world. So again, it's, uh, uh, I'm, you know, pretty happy and uh, very grateful and very humbled. By yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot of like young people that listen to the podcast and I'd love to hear your perspective because I bet, all, you know, frequently you might get the question, well, how'd you get to where you are? And wow, you know, um, worked with a pro team, worked, worked with a great a college a program. And, uh, you know, now three of these great books and you're in private practice. When you look back at your career, just from where you are now in your lens, is there something that you think really moved the needle? Like, is there one thing that you did that made a big difference?
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to use everything that we teach from the textbooks and I've used it all. I mean, I really do practice what I preach and the self-talk, the, you know, visualization for my first book, The Champion's Mind, I actually visualized holding the book before I even started writing it. And um, so, you know, sometimes I forget like, Hey, this stuff really works. And so, right. uh, so, uh, get world-class at what we do for yourself. And that will help <laughs> you obviously get to where you want to be and help others get to where they want to be. But, uh, there is no real blueprint for what we do, as you know. And so, uh, you have to learn to hustle. You have to learn to do different things. Uh, I've worked at a medical center. I've worked at an employee assistance program. Uh, you know, I've been part of a group psychology practice. So, uh, in retrospect, all those things were great learning experiences. So hang in there, you know, yeah. you'll get, you'll get to, you'll get to the finish line eventually, but, um, uh, but, uh, and, and the road, you know, you got to enjoy the journey as we always talk about. And I cert- certainly have. So, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're lucky to be able to use what we teach, so.
0: I like what you said about just the idea of being world-class in what we do, and you couldn't have gotten to where you are now, right? No and continue to build what you're doing, you know, in the future, but you couldn't have done that without being world-class. So before we dive in, Jim, to your books and um, some of the ideas that you talk a lot about and you teach, can you give us a sense of how you define failure and um, an example of a time you failed. And I love to ask, ask the guests this question because there's a wide variety of definitions of failure. So it's pretty cool, but also to make you human.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Have
0: you heard all about these great things you've done? Uh, let's get to know Jim. <laughs>
1: uh, so, uh, and, and I really truly believe this, that I look at failure as just not showing up. and. Okay. Uh, you know Woody Allen said uh, seventy per, or eighty percent of success is just showing up. And so what I really like is if you show up. You know, let's say I want to run a marathon. Or for me, showing up was you know what I don't know how to write a book. Uh, I'm going to write one anyway. And so showing up and then using the tools that we just you know some of the tools we'll get into, but uh, more about you know the visualization, self talk, goal setting that's how we step up. So first show up, then step up. But so to me, if you show up, hey, I'm going to run a marathon, never run one before, you know, I train. you know, let's train smart and be really well prepared. But then I beat everyone else that hasn't shown up that day. Mm. And so um, as long as you get your butt there, uh, you know, show some courage, get your butt there. Uh, To me, you're a champion. And, you know, the question is, are you going to be the champion that day? And so, again, that's where I think a lot of the mental game comes into play. But from a traditional standpoint, you know, I'm happy to admit, you know, in terms of a definition of failure, a traditional definition of failure, I fail every day with every client uh, because I could always do better. And so, um, you know, so I, that's when I always go back to, okay, did I, did I win there or did I learn there? And I think there was a famous psychologist, um, name escapes me right now, but I think said one time, might have been Karen Horney, who said, we either help our clients or we learn from them. And so um, I really look at, you know, in the work that we do, I look at failure pretty much as just, because I always do my best, obviously, and I know we all do, but failure for me in that uh, context would be just not really being able to connect with the person, you know, and I look at, you know, I need to be able to find a way to develop rapport and, and get to understand them as well as I can. So I know if we could do that, we're going to go far.
0: Yeah. Excellent. I like show up, then step up. Uh, That's really sticky, but also when did you win there or did you learn there? And when you think about how you see the world's best, deal with failure and approach failure, what do you think? Like, how? what what do you witness in terms of their ability to move on and get better because of it?
1: Oh, I mean, champions have failed the most. And Mm -hmm. it's because they keep showing up. And they put themselves in position to fail. And it's not easy. Uh, You know, we get our heart broken uh, when we do fall short. But champions look at it as, I can't wait to be in a position again to fall short again because that means, you know, I'm right there, I'm that close, and uh, I have an opportunity. So um, I could give you a quick anecdote of, uh, so one of the softball players I worked with, she was on a team that ended up winning the national championship. Okay. And uh, anyway, during the season, uh, she was facing one of the best pitchers in the country, you know, on the opposing team. And softball, for people that don't know as much about softball, 70% of the game is pitching. I mean, those pitchers are just, wow. Um, And so anyway, she goes into the game and she ends up getting the game winning hit. And afterward we're talking about it. And I said, well, I saw in the, you know, uh, just looking at the game in terms of the box score that you struck out the first three times, you know, what was your mindset? And she said, well, a lot of, I was trying to use a lot of stuff that we talked about. And I said, well, okay, tell me more about that. And she said, well, First time I struck out, I said, you know, I got back in the dugout and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to get her next time. She got me this time. I'm going to get her next time. Strikes out again. The second time goes back in the dugout. I'm going to get her next time. I'm going to get her next time. Goes back to third time, strikes out. I'm going to get her next time. Her attitude didn't change. And then gets the game winning hit or fourth at bat. And that to me is what this stuff is all about because it's not normal to think that way. You know, it's, I think it's normal to start thinking, today's not my day. This other pitcher's just too good. I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe this is happening. So, you know, I, d- I just called it, hey, you were psychotically optimistic that day. And I love it. And, and what that does for an athlete or for any of us, it makes you really dangerous. And so as the game goes on, you get more and more dangerous if you could think like, we all teach in sports psychology. And so that happened to me with my first book. It's like rejection, rejection, rejection. And it's like more, man, this is making me even more dangerous right now because you know, when I get there, the book's gonna even be better, the draft's gonna be even better and I'm gonna want it even more. So I wow. think uh, that optimism, that confidence, that you know, the more failure I face, the more motivated I'm gonna be and the more dangerous I'm gonna get.
0: Uh, I love the terms that you use just there to explain it. And how, like, watch me, you know, like, um, this idea of I can turn this into an opportunity, I can stay, psych. what did you call it?
1: Well, psych- I call it being psychotically optimistic.
0: Psychotically optimistic. I yeah. think that's great. And I th- yeah, I'd i love to actually learn more a little bit about how you did publish the first one with Rodell, right, your yep. book, um, because I, I wanted to learn more about that in terms of were you rejected? What was that process like? And then, you know, when you look at now, the, the outcome of the book that was published, is it a lot different than the first draft?
1: Yeah, well, interesting question, because so where all this started is when I was at ASU, and it what an amazing experience, because one session I might meet with a Olympic diver from Italy, And then, you know, on the diving team at ASU. And then the next session I might meet with a football player from Los Angeles. And then the next session, a water polo player from Australia. And so it was neat, just the international flavor. But a lot of times we would talk during session and, you know, can I have a piece of paper to write that down? Or do you have an index card? I want to write that quote down. And so eventually I started putting together a bunch of handouts. And I kind of became known as the handout guy or the, uh, confidence card guy because I'd hand out little confidence cards. And uh, yeah, it was funny when I would run into an athletic trainer or a coach, they would say, are you the guy that gives all those handouts? And uh, do you have any more? And, you know, and usually, and I had to get better and better at them because uh, usually they would just end up at the bottom of the locker and then people would throw them away. But so I tried to make them sticky. I tried to make them fun. I try to, you know, put a lot of little tips and quotes and stories on there. And eventually it was like, hey, why don't I turn this into a book? And again, that's where the, you know, okay, time to get outside of my comfort zone. I I don't know anything about writing a book. So let's find out. So I did my research and I found, okay, you need to get a literary agent. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so off I went. And a lot of the feedback at first was, well, you know, you need to do this differently or you need to do that differently. And, uh, you know, or I'm not, you know, it was, uh, kind of, some of it was positive. Some of it was negative. Some of it, I never heard back. And so there is that, you know, you kind of have to embrace the gray there that, you know, you're not always going to get black and white answers in terms of what you need to know. But I stuck with it, found a great agent in New York city. And then, uh, we were off and running and then Rodale just picked it up and said, we love this project. So let's go. And, uh, so many Olympic athletes were, uh, were uh so gracious to to provide an endorsement like carly lloyd number one soccer player in the world and then jim craig goalie from the 1980 u.s olympic team and it's a great story about the work that we do because i contacted him and it was pretty funny because he went to boston university my wife went to boston college and so we were talking he had a really strong boston accent and uh he said uh i said man you uh <laughs> you have a strong accent like my wife and he said uh you know." where'd your wife go to school? And I said, Boston college. And he's like, Oh, those wicked, you know, Boston college Eagles. And, you know, it was just so funny. But uh, he said, you know what, anything else I can do for the book? And I said, you know, what do you mean? And he goes, I love this stuff. He goes, that's why, you know, there's nothing more important than mindset. And so I said, well, if you love it that much, will you write the forward for the book? And he goes, sure. So it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So, wow.
0: And I love how it just came organically like that. And again, such good writing. I think it's really easy to understand and digest. When you take a step back, and then we'll dive into the first book, The Champion's Mind, give us a sense of, as you've worked with some of the world's best, what do you think separates them from a mindset perspective? What do they do differently than maybe the average?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been just amazing, uh, experience for me, uh, just being able to, uh, peer, you know, look under the hood, so to speak, and you know, what makes them tick and, and what makes them so great. And a lot of the ones I've worked with really do have an attitude of domination. And, Mm -hmm. um, so they're competitive and, you know, I, my definition of competitiveness is wanting to win until you drop. And, uh, you know, they, I mean, if you're playing Fortnite, if you're playing Roblox, if you're playing ping pong, you know, it doesn't matter. They want to keep playing until they win. And so competitiveness is, uh, they want to beat your butt. They want to, you know, game on and they're never going to give an inch. So competitiveness, there's a lot of C words. So confidence is another big one. Um, you know, they respect the competition, but they respect their stuff more. And, you know, they love their talent, they love their preparation, they love their game. And so confidence is a big one. Jack Nicklaus recently tweeted, it's kind of funny to say Jack Nicklaus recently tweeted because it's funny he's even on Twitter, but he said that confidence is the single most important factor in golf and probably in life. And so uh, confidence is huge. And so I look at that as, uh, you know, really having a lot of faith in your abilities, and then also having a really positive self-image, and so the world-class athletes I've worked with, it's like this is my show and I'm running it. You know, I mean, they yeah. they really believe in themselves. Another big one, as you know, is concentration. Um, mm-hmm. They could get hyper-focused, and if they get distracted, they're able to refocus quickly, and uh, that's a big sign of mental toughness right there. Is that you know, where the faster you could refocus, the better you're going to be, and so. Uh, they don't make it a history lesson out there on the field. Uh, it's always next play. You know, it's, it's what's important now, what's important next for those guys. And then yeah. one, one more to throw out is, uh, in terms of another C word, uh, that I've noticed with a lot of these world-class athletes is their commitment level is off the charts. And so just to give you an example, one year, uh, uh NHL player reached out to me and said, uh, you know, I'm recovering from an ACL injury and, uh, you know, I'm only gonna be out here three months. I wanna work with a sports psychologist. I wanna put my best foot forward. You know, I wanna work on my mental game. And so I said, okay, when do you wanna meet? He said, well, I just told you I'm only out here for three months, so I wanna meet every day. And I'm thinking, wow, I never heard that from any of the ASU <laughs> student athletes. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's why he's in the NHL. It, you know, and that's because if, you know, and his attitude was, hey, if this helps me, why not do it every day? And now, did we need to do it every day? No, but it was his attitude of I'm willing. I mean, nothing's more important than this. So I'm willing to do, if you think it's good to meet every day, let's meet every day. And that just blew my mind because, you know, I'm thinking he's going to say, well, let's meet, you know, maybe every, you know, every other week or what. No, he wanted to meet every day. And so, uh, so I love that commitment. It's almost like, I think with the world's best athletes, it's not about motivating them, it's almost about like, hey, you need to slow down a little bit here. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you need to pace yourself a little bit here. And so I get a kick out of working with some of those athletes because it's so outside the norm.
0: So I'm hearing four C's, so I got this right. So they're competitive, they're confident. they have a concentration that's really focused on what matters most to them and, or what's most relevant. And then they're committed at just like a different level. I I saw your recent blog post about the last dance and my family and I watched it as well. And I thought it was so fascinating to watch Michael Jordan and just kind of get the inside, you know, inside his perspective, this mindset perspective of, wow, just um, what it took to be as good as, as, as he was. So give us a little insight on your blog and just your perspective on that.
1: Yeah. So. Champion's Mind app is uh, a new project that I'm working on. And part of that is uh, we have a blog uh, and we call it, uh, you know, GOAT. And, and we call it GOAT food. And, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and so, but the acronym GOAT, as most of us know, was, you know, derived from Muhammad Ali said, I'm the greatest of all time. But for the app, we also use it a little differently in that it's GOAT. So go at your goals, whatever they are, and um, so yeah. So we do have a blog post. We're interviewing some pretty cool people and uh, and talking about some uh, topical issues. You know, obviously, you know, we'll get into a little bit about what's going on in the world right now with the pandemic, and uh, so we have some articles on that as well. But uh, that's just a lot of fun, just to kind of share some thoughts and reflections. Uh, And one of them was recently, as you mentioned, on the last dance and. Boy, I mean, Michael Jordan, he uh, talked about an attitude of domination. And, you know, he's coming at you with everything in the kitchen sink, and you better be ready for it. And uh, what I really liked, one of the things he said is that, hey, I never asked, so it's good leadership. I never, ever asked anything of anyone else that I wasn't willing to do myself. And Mm so I think any coach, any team would be lucky to have someone like Michael Jordan where your best player is also your hardest worker.
0: Absolutely. One of the things that fascinated me was this his ability to find motivation in, in anything in it motivation in his loss, or sometimes he'd make up like negative comments that uh, uh, competitors ne- never even actually said to like motivate him himself. And then in the last um, episode, episode 10, they were talking about how just his ability to stay present was unmatched. And you know why would he ever, think about a shot that he would, that he would have missed, right? Like, why, do, what do, why would he even fathom to think about failure? And I thought that was really eye-opening and just kind of um, consistent with also what the sports psychology literature describes about the world's best.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's like, he craved being in those, uh, those circumstances and, you know, just like a Larry Bird or a Magic Johnson. And it's kind of like, you know, the bigger attitude of, uh, I could handle whatever happens. So, you know, let's let's deliver the dagger, so to speak. And yeah. um, if I don't deliver it tonight, I'm going to do it next time. And again, that gets to the optimism of eventually I'm going to hit that game-winning shot. But you're right; in the moment, it's the consequences. You know, it's just they don't really exist because. I see that as an opportunity, you know, when I'm open and I have that shot, it's an opportunity. I don't think twice, cause I'm going to take every opportunity I get. Yeah. And so they love those situations. And we all, I think we all need to take the page out of that book too, and just fall in love with any opportunity that comes our way and just go out there and seize it.
0: Mm. Nicely said. So in your book, The Champion's Mind, there's a few things I want to uh, connect with you about. The first thing is one of the, the uh, quotes that I underlined, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, you said, attitude is a decision, and it is also a learned behavior requiring discipline and energy to sustain. So I like that, because people might stop at attitude as a decision, right? But it's also a learned behavior. So describe to us um, you know, your thoughts on this, and it's such a powerful statement.
1: Yeah, I mean, And I've had to work on that one, too, in terms of attitude, because as we all know, or most of us know, the brain is hardwired, you know, in terms of a negativity bias. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the brain operates under a safety first principle. And so that's why we play small. That's why we hold back. That's why, you know, we beat ourselves up a little bit too much when things don't go our way. And, you know, I love what... Uh, our colleague, Dr. Bob Rotella mentions a lot that anyone could have a great attitude when things are going well. Can you have a great attitude when things aren't yet going well? And so, you know, negativity bias in that quote by Bob Rotella. And uh, I think Ken Reviza, you know, talked about attitude as a decision. So I probably lifted from him too, and using that quote, but um, it's just that we have to work on our attitude. It, you know, a winning champion you know, awesome attitude doesn't come as naturally as, you know, I think would be nice. And so, you know, hey, if I'm not starting on my team right now, well, I better have even a better attitude than if I was starting because it's going to be harder to keep a good attitude. So I'm going to be the best teammate possible. I'm going to be the hardest worker when I'm watching the game from the sideline. I'm going to learn as much as I can and visualize myself out there on the court with my teammates. Uh, I'm going to pump them up. I'm going to give them what they need. I'm going to be, you know, all in on being the best teammate I can be. And let's be honest, that's not natural to think that way. Yeah. So, uh, but it's important to think that way and it helps the team. It'll help yourself. Everyone wins by thinking that way. So one of the things that I would say to the major league baseball players I'd work with, because think about it, playing 162 games in 180 days. I mean, it's unbelievable the, the, the grind. I mean, that is a true grind. And with all the travel and um, so it's easy to get negative. And a lot of guys would say, Hey, you help keep me positive in a negative sport. And, but one of the things I would challenge them is do you have anything to lose by going all out in a positive way this season, this whole season and loving every pitch as much as you possibly can? Do you have anything to lose by doing that? Hmm. And you know, the answer is no. So let me help you to get there.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I love the idea of like loving every pitch. And when you're loving it, I'm thinking, you're also thinking about why are you passionate about this sport? Uh, why do you even want to be there? Right. And you're taking it more like one pitch at a time instead of, uh, I got to get this done and maybe um, not be fully present.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had a, uh, a story just came to my mind of uh, yeah a player that I worked with that uh, I said, what do you love most about baseball? And he kind of got sad and, uh, you know, tearful. And I started thinking, well, I wasn't expecting that from that question. And, but he related to me that when he was a kid growing up, he would pray every night that it wouldn't rain the next day because he wanted to play baseball that bad. And I said, that's beautiful. That's awesome. You know, why are you kind of tearing up about that? And he said, now I pray every night hoping it does rain because I'm just too stressed yeah. out. I'm just too stressed out. Yeah. I'm thinking too much about mechanics. I'm worried about stats. The competition is so stiff. And I don't know if I could do this. And so I said, you know, you know, with a lot of empathy, a lot of listening. Um, and I also, you know, acknowledged and validated, you know, kind of that, uh, some of those feelings are awesome because, you want to be in a better place. You're not happy with not being at your best. And so anyway, we rolled up our sleeves, did a lot of good work. And one day he texted me and said, I can't wait to play tomorrow. And, like, <laughs> and I like, I mean, that's the, that was music to my ears. So yeah. I love that because yeah, if you're not in love with what you're doing, uh, you, know, you gotta go find something else that you're in love with uh, or get back to loving what you're doing because the game's too hard as you know, every game is too hard, the competition's too hard. Uh, it's going to beat you up anyway. So you might as well become your own best friend. And that starts with loving yourself and loving your game.
0: Mm, nicely said. And I think about people who are listening who are in sport, but also maybe coaches or business leaders, right? And, and sometimes I I find people who aren't loving what they do in life. And then it's a really tough conversation about, do you want to start loving it again? Or do you want to find something different? So um, I appreciate that perspective and read a great story. So Jim, in your book, um, in chapter two, you describe the essential mental skills. So I wanna uh, connect with you about those. I'm gonna read those for people who are listening. We got goal setting, mental imagery, self-talk, competence, focus, uh, breath control, mental toughness, anxiety management, enjoyment, uh, body language, intensity, and personal affirmation works. So, give us a little sense on you know, those essential mental skills that we really need to thrive, and why you chose those specific skills.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are all uh, you know. I, I call them power tools, um, and right. we all dabble a little bit with these, and we've all heard of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really want to sharpen them, you know, kind of like a samurai sword, and get as good as you possibly can at these. So, you know, doing a little visualization is okay, but probably not enough, you know, doing a little bit of breathing work or, you know, meditation is okay, but it's not going to probably help you if you do it once or twice. And so what I wanted to do there was just lay out, Hey, here are the mental skills. Here are some tips and strategies really get world-class at these. And the better you get at these, I mean, man, you could go in there with supreme confidence when you compete because a lot of athletes still aren't working on these as much as they could. And it doesn't take a lot of time. It really doesn't. And a lot of times you could do these work on these mental skills and strategies, as you know, uh, in parallel with what you're already doing. So if you're on, you know, waiting for practice to start, you know, or you're waiting in line at practice, visualize a couple times being successful at what you're about to try. You know, obviously at night, we know stress is, you know, pretty rampant in the world. And so practice your relaxation skills and strategies. And you'll find that when you're on the you know, course or court or whatever field, it's much easier to kind of get that relaxation response going when you need it, and to maintain your composure. So, yeah, I'm I'm a big believer though in self talk is number one. I mean, to me, it all starts and ends with self talk because uh, it's that voice in it's the voice in our head that either helps us win or help you know or or gets in our own way, and uh, and then at night we end up staring at the ceiling because we know we beat ourselves.
0: Yeah, and we know that we could have talked to ourselves differently, but I also appreciated what you said about the negativity bias and it's natural, normal for us to talk to ourselves in that way that it's, you know, we're beating ourselves up. So what recommendations would you give for people who want to talk more powerfully to themselves? And I think, especially now during this time of transition and change where sports Uh, shifting and adjusting. Maybe they're not getting that uh, time with their teammates or just the people uh, like you and I who are having to adjust our businesses.
1: Yeah. I mean, in terms of self-talk, I think what's important for all of us to mention in the sports psychology space is that if you start having negative thoughts, you're not failing. Because again, the brain, that's the default of the brain. It's just a reminder, hey, I'm not gonna go there. You know, I'm starting to have some negative thoughts. I'm not going down that way. I'm gonna stop right here, turn it around and go that way and start tracking the positive. And so I think a lot of times when we read a sports psychology book or you know, we listen to a podcast or we even meet with a professional, we think, okay, from now on I'm gonna be really positive. I'm gonna be my own best ally. And then the next day we're like, I don't want to go to practice. And then it's like, then we feel like we failed because we're having those negative thoughts again. And you haven't failed. It's just an oppor- another opportunity to work on what we've talked about. And so self-talk is key because again, the mind is the athlete. I mean, the body really is just the vehicle. And so garbage in garbage out, you know, or gold in gold out, might be a better way of saying it. And so you have to talk to yourself like a champion to become one. And so again, an easy way to do this is to think, what would I tell, you know, a best friend or a great teammate when they were struggling or scuffling. And, you know, I would tell them, Hey, you had a bad game. You're still a good player. Or um, you had an off day. Every champion has an off day tomorrow look out because I wouldn't want to face you tomorrow because I know that you're not going to settle, you know, for what just happened today. And then, okay, let's apply that to ourselves. And, you know, as you know, most of us do have that double standard. Like i never, t- you know, I never beat up a friend if they had a bad day, I'd encourage them, but we tend to do that with ourselves. So you got to treat yourself like your own best friend.
0: I appreciated several things you just said there, like the mind is the athlete so powerful uh, because, right, it's just the, the, the body is the vehicle. I thought that was a great idea and concept and just gold in, gold out. Whenever you're putting gold in here, that's what you're going to get out in terms it, of your performance.
1: And what I would add to that is uh, uh, the graveyard of sports is filled with naturally talented or gifted athletes physically mm. that yes. you never heard of again. And then we all know stories of athletes that's like, man, how did he or she ever win that gold medal? Or man, how did, you know, they ever make it and get a college scholarship to, you know, whatever school and because it's mind power over firepower, it really is. Awesome. Okay.
0: So we talked a little bit about uh, the champion's mind. Give us a little insight on uh, the champion's comeback and why you decided to write that and the difference between the champion's mind. I know, cause I read them, <laughs> but would love to hear your perspective on what was next after the champion's mind.
1: Yeah, that's uh, so sometimes the second, you know, winning the second title or, you know, uh, repeating again, coming out with a new album Uh, it's not easy because, you know, you have to make a comeback. You have to think, okay, what can I do now? And, but I love that challenge. And so, but the champion's mind was all about the attitude of think gold and never settle for silver. And that's what we were kind of getting back to what we were talking about earlier, that real failure to me, the big F of failure is uh, just holding back, not, you know, playing scared, not, not getting after it in life. And so thinking gold is just pushing yourself and, Outside of your comfort zone, and to me, the more you do that emotionally and physically, the more you have a gold medal life. And uh, so, the champions' comeback uh, is more about, hey, you're going to hit walls. You know, the big, you know, the bigger your dreams are, the bigger your goals, the more the more walls and hurdles you're going to hit along the way. And so, it's really about, uh, you know, in terms of the champions' comeback, kind of the attitude or the philosophy of the book is uh, I won't be denied. And Mm -hmm. getting back to what we talked about love, I mean, there's nothing more powerful in the world than love. Uh, It's more powerful than fear or anger. And so, you know, one of the mantras kind of between the lines in the book is love your comeback more than you hate your setback. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because we tend to get stuck on the setback. And because we do that, we are the ones that actually set us back not what happened to us. And so it's really about falling in love with the comeback. And what's a better story than a comeback story? You know, and that's why I think everyone liked the movie Rocky, because, you know, the guy against all odds, he kind of puts himself in position, falls short, and then comes back and wins. And we all have the power to do that in our own life.
0: Awesome. When you think about the champion's comeback, can you think of a powerful strategy or tool in that book that maybe people have been talking a lot about, or you feel like is really sticky or would help us learn more about this idea of like, love your comeback more than you hate your setback?
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, I, I'm a, Big fan of optimism. And I almost look at it as, you know, be a little bit pessimistic in training or practice, you know, like just to make sure you're staying on your toes. Like, am I doing everything I should be doing? Am I as prepared as I could be? But when it's time to compete, uh, you want to be the most optimistic person on the planet. And uh, just to give you an example, uh, Dusty Baker, a uh, great, great major league baseball player and manager. Uh, and I was able to speak with him one day, and I said, what is, I asked him, what is your favorite quote, and he said, oh, my favorite quote is by Luke Appling, who was a Hall of Fame player way back in the day, and I said, oh, really, what did he say, and he said, if you want to play lucky, you got to think lucky, and I look at that as, you know, being optimistic, like something good is about to happen, you know, there's something positive on the horizon, and I said, you know, Dusty, how do you use that as a manager? Mm. And he said, all game long, I'm trying to think of something good about to happen. So if we're down by two, hey, we still got seven innings left. Or, you know, if they just hit the ball really hard, uh, hey, you know, if we make a good play, we could throw them out. Uh, So he says that the whole game when he's managing, and a lot of it is, I'm sure, just in his own head, and I'm sure he also verbalizes a little bit, is always like something good is about to happen. Something good is about to happen until the game is over, and then you know it goes back to either won or learned, or you won or you ran out of time. But I really love that because again, th- is there anything to lose by doing that? You know, at, at thinking that way. So, and even if they're up by five runs, he's thinking, "Hey, I wonder if we could get another run here." And so, it's just being as optimi- optimistic as you can uh, during competition. And I really think that's powerful. Um, And then after he mentioned that, uh, I came across a quote by Earl Weaver, who was an amazing manager for the Baltimore Orioles back in the day. And he said, it's really interesting, and I don't know if him and Dusty ever talked, but he said, "Uh, I became an optimist as a manager when I realized I wasn't gonna win any any games any other way. And so I think that's true for coaches, managers, business professionals, uh, you know, and especially athletes that, you know, when it's time to compete, be as optimistic, be as positive, be as, uh, you know, j- just be as happy as you can be. And there's nothing that you, you know, no one's going to ever look back after a game and think, I wish I was more pessimistic, you know, or I wish I had a worse attitude, you know, there's nothing to lose. So, uh, that was a powerful story from, from Dusty.
0: And uh, Jim, I'm thinking about right now about just this change during COVID-19, right? And how a lot of our world has changed and our lives have changed. And I think the power of optimism is really important, right? Like maybe you, you can't ignore what's happening in the world, but give us a sense of how you're coping with this time and what strategies have you used to deal with adversity and change?
1: Yeah, I mean it's been interesting for all of us because, you know, everyone was on go mode and then everyone, you know, it felt like overnight we're all on slow mode. And so what I've tried to do and try to recommend is to use this time. It's a golden opportunity for Mm self-reflection. And, you know, am I doing what I want to do? Am I, um, you know, am I living my life uh, in accord with my values? And what have I been doing that I want to keep doing? You know, maybe what have I been doing that I want to stop doing? Uh, So it's a great time for self-reflection. And it's also a great time to reconnect with the things that are most important to us, you know, in terms of self-care and family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think one of the things is to have a a both-and attitude about the situation rather than an either-or, because I think if we take really good care of ourselves, it's easy to get into, well, who am I to take such good care of myself right now or be happy when so many people are suffering. And I think you could do both. I think you could have empathy for others. I think you could help others and I think you could be really concerned about what's going on. But I also think that, and I also think that you could crush it. (laughs) You know, you could, you could use this opportunity as uh, there's no better time and place a, to work on the mental game, especially if you're an athlete. And uh, it's an opportunity to work on some things that you maybe didn't get a chance to work on when, uh, whether personally or in terms of your career, when things were on go mode. And so mm-hmm. the, the analogy I like to use is that with athletes, when they're injured, uh, I'm using that now during this situation is this is either going to be time stolen or time given, mm-hmm. and it's up to you. And uh, you know, if you're out for a year with an ACL injury or an Achilles injury Uh, you don't want to look back and say, man, that was time stolen. You want to look back and say, that was time given because I did A, B, C, D, all the way to Z in terms of self-care, learning about the mental game, working on my nutrition, watching the game from a different angle, learning more. And so uh, there's still time to make this a blessing in disguise for all of us so that when we do get back to go mode, we're ready to go, really ready to go.
0: Yeah, uh, I like the idea of like taking this time to be ready for the go mode. Cause I think that's how I felt like I was go, go, go. And it's, I, I've, there's a lot of things I've really enjoyed about this time. So this idea of both and it doesn't have to be either or. So Jim, I could talk to you for lots of hours. <laughs> uh, so we'll have to have you on uh, before, right, right when you're launching your next book, but you got three amazing books right here the champion's mind, the champions come back and the young champion's mind. Tell us how people can get the book and the app. So give us a little insight on that.
1: Sure. So the app came about, it's called the, you know, champion's mind app. Uh, it's available, you know, where, wherever apps are sold, the books are available, wherever books are sold. Uh, but, uh, I would have athletes that would say, Hey, I wish I could bring you in my gym bag and take you with me to my, you know, next competition. And, uh, so what I started realizing, well, I can't shrink myself, and but I can maybe get on their phone somehow through an app. And I also think it's important, as you know, as we both know, that mental skills aren't you know magical skills, and mindset's not just a button to be pushed uh, when you really need it. You have to work on this daily. And so yeah. that was the goal there with the app. Uh, in terms of Twitter uh, at Gold Metal Mind, and then my website yes. is uh, well is at is my website is goldmetalmine.net. But yeah, love to connect with anyone. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, You're a champion of what you do. So it's been my honor today.
0: Well, Jim, I am honored that you're on the podcast. I'm excited that we got you on here. And I love following you on Twitter. So I'm gonna repeat that at gold metal mind, right? Um, I think that you post really great information that's really useful for people. Um, So if you're on Twitter, make sure you follow Jim there. And uh, Jim, I usually like summarize what we talked about today. So I'm gonna do my best <laughs> um, and we'll, we'll see. But I, I, I loved the, just the different uh, topics that we talked about today. That when, that when I asked you about um, what the world's best do, you said uh, that they, they show up and then they step up, right? And we talked about, I'm not just thinking, did we win there, but also did we learn there? We talked about the power of optimism and just this belief that you know, always something great is gonna happen. You talked about four C's, uh, being competitive, confident, making sure you're concentration or you're concentrated and then, or you're concentrating on the task at hand, that probably a better way to say it, and then committed at a different level. And then we talked about how the mind is the athlete and really putting gold in is what you get gold out and how negative thoughts isn't a failure. So thank you so much, Jim. I'm grateful that you're on the podcast today.
1: Thank you and everyone that listened today. Have a good one.
0: Way to go for finishing another episode of the High Performance Mindset. I'm giving you a virtual fist pump. Holy cow, did that go by way too fast for anyone else?